You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Today's episode is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon including our Commodore class. That's Commodore's Obvious, Misfit, David, Torso and Pinches, Matt, Hangman Strain, Shelby, Axios, Richard, Hartman, The Sextant, Brian, Doc Lindsay, Hangman Strain, AJ, Roger the Jolly, Artemis Killmeister, Captain Crunch, Rotary Coast, M.D., Lost Again, The Navigator, Pitlock, Ward, Workman, Chairboat, Gunsway Sally, Cannon Monkey, Rum Runner, Madame Anita Sparrow, Hefei, Bull, Vertigon, Rumgut, and Bootstraps Bailey. Hello. Welcome to the Pirate History Podcast. My name is Matt. Thank you for listening. On Friday, July 8th, 1699, at 8 a.m., Lord Bellamont convened a meeting of the dual assemblies of New York and Massachusetts. Bellamont had, in his hands, a copy of William Kidd's account of his voyage. It was interesting enough, but what really gripped Lord Bellamont was what it said about the treasure. Which honestly wasn't much. Bellamont wanted Captain Kidd's treasure, and honestly he was owed some of it. Captain Kidd had signed a contract to that effect. Not only to Lord Bellamont, but to many of his political allies as well. Captain Kidd's treasure was going to fund the Whig Party for a few years at the very least, if Lord Bellamont could get it. The assemblyman and the earl read through the document and decided to bring Captain Kidd in for further questioning. They sent word to the constables at the jailhouse who brought Kidd in with all the graciousness that they could muster. When he arrived, Kidd was welcomed in to the governor's residence. He was offered a seat. Lord Bellamont was all smiles. They offered him something to eat, maybe even something to drink, maybe even an apology. He had to have Kid detained, you understand. Kid was acting a little crazy. But now, in the light of day, with that report finally in hand, they could talk like gentlemen. And William Kidd took Bellamont's graciousness here at face value. Their misunderstandings had all been cleared up so they could finally talk man-to-man. That's what Kid had wanted from the very beginning. And I think it shouldn't be minimized that arrests like what Kidd had just experienced were, you know, a power move. 
It was a lord reminding his social subordinates that he held the power so it was smart to play ball, and Kidd appeared willing to do so. Lord Bellamont asked Captain Kidd about the treasure on Gardiner's Island, and it seems that he was rolling the dice a bit here, taking a gamble. He probably didn't know for sure that Captain Kidd had treasure hidden away on Gardiner's Island. All he had was a report that a scruffy-looking sailor had paid way above market value for a trip to Gardiner's Island the night before, but that's it. It paid off, though. Captain Kidd told him after a brief hesitation, quote, I left the treasure in custody of Mr. Gardiner of Gardiner's Island, near the eastern end of Long Island, fearing to bring it about by sea. It is in a bag out into a little box, locked and nailed, corded about, and sealed. End quote. Now it's worth remembering here that Captain Kidd dropped off treasure at Gardiner's Island twice. Once into John Gardiner's hands personally, and then again buried on his property. Kidd neglected to mention that treasure which he buried. When Lord Bellamont asked Captain Kidd about the plunder on board the St. Antonio, Kidd gave that up as well. He told Bellamont exactly where the St. Antonio was at anchor. And there was something of a suggestion here, maybe even an outright promise, that Kidd would be the one to go get the St. Antonio from Hispaniola. At least, that's how Captain Kidd appears to have understood it. That this little imprisonment business is over. You're going to be given your freedom to go collect the treasure for me, your lord. And now that they had all of that treasure business out of the way, they could chat freely. The two men talked for about an hour, not about treasure here, but about the voyage. And on the one hand, this was Captain Kidd offering up his defense, but on the other, it was an adventure story. I think about Thomas, too, playing every parlor in New York City, entertaining the men and sometimes their wives with tales of adventure and excitement on the high seas. It was that kind of daring do that the English just couldn't resist. Or maybe it was more like Captain Morgan meeting with King Charles. You know, he had been arrested as well, but when he was given a chance to share his tale, the king loved it. He lapped it up. Not only was Captain Morgan pardoned for any crimes he may or may not have committed, but he was knighted. He was made a lieutenant governor of Jamaica. And maybe, well, if Captain Kidd told a good story, who knows what Lord Bellamont might have in store for him at the end of the day. And Kidd did seem to be doing quite well there in the parlor room. Lord Bellamont had his foot up on a nearby ottoman. He was still suffering from gout. But the other men in the parlor were sitting all around the room, cheering and laughing at Kidd's exploits. They were exciting, and Kidd was very clearly winning them over here. At some point, although it was still fairly early in the day, I imagine they broke out the brandy and cigars. Everything was going great, exactly how Captain Kidd hoped it would. But then, Lord Bellamont asked Captain Kidd about the gold that had been found in his chambers. The twenty-two pounds of solid gold at Duncan Campbell's house. Captain Kidd did not know that that gold had been found, and when Lord Bellamont asked him about it, he realized that the other shoe had dropped. This is episode 277 
cramped in their liberties. Didn't mention the twenty-two pounds of gold when Bellamont asked him about the treasure, did he? Lord Bellamont had laid a trap. All smiles and graciousness convincing William to give up everything until he could pull the rug out from under him. I imagine Captain Kidd in kind of an unblinking stare at Lord Bellamont through a cloud of cigar smoke. He replied to the governor, quote, I intended it for presents to some I expected to do me a kindness. End quote. He's talking about bribes, but also payment, and, you know, maybe just presents. To his lawyers, his friends, his allies, people who had done him kindness, but also Lord Bellamont himself. He was saying that he'd intended to hand this out to people who didn't stab him in the back. Richard Zacks describes this moment. He writes, quote, Whatever his faults, Kidd at this moment was clearly trying to show that honor meant more to him than money. He had slipped into some kind of vision of himself as a gentleman, talking to a fellow gentleman. In doing so, he had squandered his ace in the hole. End quote. Which seems like a pretty good description of Captain Kidd's biggest fault. Except for, I guess, his tendency toward violence and murder, that's a big one, but Captain Kidd always seems to have this crazy inflated idea of himself. I mean, how many times could he have saved himself a world of trouble if he'd showed even just a hint of deference? And this is me saying this, someone who's not super into hierarchies or showing respect to people who haven't earned it. But I mean, come on. Tip your hat from time to time, fire off a salute or two, and don't be a jerk to admirals of the fleet. That would have gotten Captain Kidd far. It would have kept him out of many of the legal troubles in which he now found himself. But it was too late for that. Despite his cooperative behavior here, despite giving literally everything up to Lord Bellamont, Captain Kidd was not, as he may have imagined himself, toasted and granted an audience with the king and a knighthood and made a governor. No, he was led back to jail, under guard. Lord Bellamont, after Captain Kidd had been taken away, excused himself to write a letter. He did so privately. That letter read, quote, Mr. Gardiner, I have secured Captain Kidd in the jail here in this town and some of his men. He has been examined by myself and the council and has confessed, among other things, that he left with you a parcel of gold made in a box and some other parcels besides, all which I require you in his majesty's name immediately to bring hither to me. I may secure them for his majesty's use, and I shall recompense your pains in coming hither. I am your friend and servant, Bellamont. End quote. Now, Lord Bellamont did not inform the council of this letter, nor did he tell them about the messenger that he dispatched to head for Gardiner's Island. Now, Bellamont already had a sloop en route to Gardiner's Island, a sloop intended to chase after the ship that Captain Kidd had sent to collect his treasure. If necessary, that sloop could capture Captain Kidd's. But the messenger that Bellamont sent here on Friday went by horse to Newport. There they would secure passage to the island, and hopefully, since they didn't have to go all the way by sea, they would beat the two sloops. Now for the next few days we don't have much on the record to discuss. Bellamont retired to his chambers, thanks to the gout, 
Once again, he missed church and didn't hold any council meetings. We can be sure, though, that Captain Kidd's lawyer was busy. He would have been rushing between William and Sarah, who was in jail as well. But his main concern was not building up a defense, not yet. Instead, he was busy securing basic necessities for his clients. Jail at the time, in the 17th and 18th centuries, was a nightmarish hellscape. Jailers usually were required to provide a minimal amount of water and food. But that's it, and they didn't always even rise to that level. There was no quality control, though, on this water and food, so the water was dirty, the food was rotten, and there wasn't enough of either. If you wanted more food, enough to live on, and food that was, you know, edible, you had to buy it from your jailers. If you wanted clean water or beer, if you wanted fresh straw on which to sleep and in which to relieve yourself, you had to buy that from the jailers. It's a horrific, medieval way of holding people in jail. I mean, it's insane that the men who provided the supplies to keep the prisoners alive also profited from their lack of necessities. I mean, can you imagine that in the real world? Privately operated prisons that are run on a profit motive? That would be immoral. A good thing we don't do that kind of thing anymore. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. So William and Sarah needed money. Money to survive, to live on. Well, Sarah did have another option. Every woman in every prison did. They could have sex with the jailers in exchange for their basic survival. And sometimes, in some jails, that wasn't so much an option as a requirement. But that's not how it was in Boston, and Sarah was not yet quite that desperate. Although she couldn't be too far off, she'd been in jail for days, more than a week now, with nothing but oily water, weevily bread, and rotten meat. Which is what it was like all the time for the destitute, but the infuriating thing for Sarah was that she had money. 
She was a landed woman, a property owner, and she had 250 pounds sterling in her possession for this exact purpose, that pirate wife's survival kit. But it had been confiscated by Lord Bellamont. Everything had, even the 25 shillings that belonged to Sarah's indentured maid had been taken. Which was nothing. I mean, it was... Everything that Sarah's maid could scrape together over two years of indentured servitude, but it wasn't enough to do anything within Sarah and William's position. But too bad, it's disappearing into the governor's pockets. And you can kind of understand why Bellamont was so keen to confiscate everything. He had legitimate concerns about Captain Kidd in the Boston jail. Sure, prison was nightmarish and horrible. It was, but it was also super corrupt. It would not have taken much for Captain Kidd to bribe his way out of jail and on to his ship to go God knows where. The man who ran the jail, Caleb Ray, was not to be trusted in any of this. And Bellamont knew that. He gave Mr. Ray very specific instructions about holding Captain Kidd. But Caleb Ray ignored them. One evening, one of Bellamont's agents rushed into his house to warn him that Captain Kidd had been spotted out of his cell, out of the jail. He was enjoying dinner at the jailer's house. It was right next to the jail, but I mean, come on, what is this all about? Lord Bellamont dispatched a team of men to the jail as well as some new instructions. Captain Kidd was put in extra solitary confinement. No one was to be let in to see him. He was to be in chains in a cell. Those men who had been sent by the governor were to check that he was in those chains every hour on the hour and at random intervals in between. And it's here that Sarah really comes to the forefront of this story. Her husband was out of the picture. He wasn't going to be able to get anything done in his extra super solitary confinement. So Sarah was responsible for her and her children's, and her husband's well-being. And to see to that, she needed money. Sarah wrote to Lord Bellamont. Well, dictated a letter, probably. She could probably read, but her writing skills were not great. It was still 1699, after all. It would have been unseemly for a woman to know how to write. And that's not just an assumption. We actually have the actual petition that Sarah had written to the governor. It began with a preamble that reads, quote, To His Excellency, the Earl of Bellamont, Captain General, Governor of His Majesty's Colonies of Massachusetts Bay, and to the Honorable Council, the petition of Sarah Kidd humbly showeth. And then she asked the governor for two things. First, Sarah, quote, humbly prays that your excellency and the council will be pleased to permit the said Sarah Kidd to have communication with her husband. And then second, quote, the most deplorable condition of your petitioner considered, she humbly entreats your honor's justice that return be made of the said plate and money. End quote. She wanted to see her husband and she wanted her money. Now, this letter is written in a beautiful, flowing script with flourishes and curly cues on nearly every letter. But the signature, written in kind of clumsy block letters, reads simply S.K. Sarah Kidd. But don't take that to mean that Sarah Kidd was some kind of fool. She wasn't. She knew that this petition was a long shot at 
best, and she wasn't going to rely solely on the kindness of Lord Bellamont. Sarah dictated another letter, and I'm fascinated by the actual circumstances in which this letter was written. It was dictated directly to a pirate named Andrew Knott. Now, Andrew Knott had been around for years now, sailing the pirate round with James Kelly and selling some cannon to Adam Baldrige back at St. Mary's. He wasn't a major player or anything like that, but he was around. Richard Zacks describes the scene as Sarah and Captain Knott standing outside William Kidd's cell, while the three of them discuss the contents of the letter, but I'm not so sure. People were permitted to stand outside the cells to talk with those within, but Captain Kidd was in his extra super solitary confinement and Sarah was also in jail. Instead, I suspect that Knott and probably one of their other friends like James Emmett were standing outside Sarah's cell while she dictated the letter. I'll read it in full. Quote, From Boston Prison, July the 18th day, 1699. Captain Payne, after my humble service to yourself and all our good friends, this cometh by a trusty friend of mine who can declare to you of my great grief and misery here in prison by how I would desire you to send me twenty-four ounces of gold. And as for all the rest you have in your custody, shall desire you for to keep in your custody, for it is all we have to support us in time of want." But I pray you to deliver to the bearer hereof the above-mentioned sum, whose name is Andrew Knott, and in doing so you will oblige him, who is your Sarah, S.K. Kidd. The construction of this letter, the grammar in it, the words of it, sound a bit odd. It's certainly not the kind of thing that a lawyer would have produced in 1699. There are even a few spelling irregularities. For example... Sarah Kidd's name is spelled Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, Kidd, K-E-E-D-E. Still, the message is clear. Hang on to our gold and hold it safe, but send me twenty-four ounces of it. Captain Knott left immediately, by horse and riding hard. He rode for Kinnicut Island, just across the bay from Newport, where he delivered the letter into the hands of Thomas Paine directly. Payne took the letter into a back room while not waited. A few minutes passed before Captain Payne returned carrying seven gold bars that should have totaled one and three-quarter pounds. But on his return journey from Connecticut Island, Captain Knott suffered a bit of bad luck. The gold in Captain Knott's pocket proved too much for the seam holding it in. It split and all seven gold bars fell out onto the road. Now, naturally, Captain Knott noticed this and went back to pick it up, but he just couldn't find one of the bars of gold. As Zax says, it fell out of his pocket and into his other pocket. And Captain Knott was very sorry about this, but you're stuck in prison. What are you going to do about it? Sarah Kidd wasn't going to do anything. When her maidservant brought her six bars of gold and that scale that she had in her pirate wife's survival kit that had been procured somehow, she was upset that there was a bar of gold missing, but there wasn't anything she could do. Now, though, Sarah Kidd actually had some bargaining power. She had the ability, first of all, to buy foodstuffs and fresh straw for she and her husband. That was a big deal. 
But now that she had some money, she sent out a flurry of letters. Letters to Bellamont, to her lawyer, Thomas Newton, to James Emmett, her representative from New York, to the council, to anyone who might listen to her pleas. And the council, some of them anyway, found themselves sympathetic to her. They'd already been won over a bit by Captain Kidd's exciting storytelling. But remember, some of these men, those from New York anyway, knew her. A couple of them lived in property that they had bought from her. A couple of them had served with her father in the colonial militia. They all went to church together. They were, you know, it might be a stretch to call them friends, but acquaintances, at least. And what Sarah was asking for here wasn't a lot, really. The big thing was the right to see her husband. She even went so far as to cite the Bible in this. She told them that it was her godly duty to be fruitful and multiply. But currently she was barred from comforting her husband in his isolation. This didn't seem unreasonable for a woman in jail. Now, these councilmen did not know about all of the gold currently in her possession, so they took her pleas for the money seriously as well. Sarah Kidd was asking them for, quote, a silver tankard, a silver mug, a silver porringer and spoons, forks, and 260 pieces of eight, also 25 English crowns which belonged to your petitioner's maid, end quote. It wasn't much, really, and it was her property. Certainly not Captain Kidd's and certainly not pirated. It came from New York, from honest business dealings. To keep that from her was cruel and unusual punishment. They should absolutely return it. At least that's what some of the men on the council were beginning to believe, and they were bold enough to say so to Lord Bellamont. Lord Bellamont, though, did not agree. He was so angry that the council seemed to be siding with this pirate's wife that he made some changes to the jail staff. Caleb Ray, that untrustworthy scoundrel, he was fired. He was kind of exiled from Boston. Then loyal men were given command of the jail, and they were far less friendly to Captain Kidd. Lord Bellamont also called an assembly meeting to reprimand those councilmen who seemed to be backsliding in their luster for justice. But that council meeting did not go as the governor planned. First, he started out by excoriating them for their soft stance on pirates. But then he went further. He suggested that some of these men might be in on it, you know, on the take, fighting for Captain Kidd for their own greedy, selfish reasons. Lord Bellamont was trying to put them off balance, you know, a body blow, but it really upset some of the councilmen. And then Lord Bellamont demanded that the council approve his decision only recently reached to execute William and Sarah Kidd. Lord Bellamont, at some point in the past week or so, mostly in isolation, had decided to have the kids hang. He said that that was what English law dictated for pirates and their accomplices. And he... Lord Bellamont didn't want to waste any time. He wanted to have them hanged like, on the morrow, he wanted to do it quickly. Now as we will see, Lord Bellamont had some personal reasons for wanting to get Captain Kidd out of the picture as fast as possible. Kidd had the ability to make him look really bad in the public eye, in the eye of the parliament and the king. 
If, however, Captain Kidd were to be executed, he would look tough on piracy, and Captain Kidd would be silenced. But all of this was just too much for the councilman. Not only had the governor insulted their honor, he was way out of bounds as far as his authority was concerned. I mean, yeah, he was an earl. He had some powerful friends back in England. But let's be honest here. You're in Boston for a very real reason. You're broke. He'd been relegated to some colonial port. He wasn't exactly an all-powerful lord. He's demanding that they sign off on an execution like some sort of medieval town council, but things worked differently in Boston. The assemblymen all stood in opposition to Bellamont's proposition to have the kids executed. Bellamont said, quote, Three or four councillors stood up at once, and one or two asked me with some warmth, and when he says warmth here, he means uh, heat, he means angry, asked me with some warmth what the laws of England had to do with them. And one of them said they were too much cramped in their liberties already. End quote. Lord Bellamont was furious at this, but he really couldn't do anything about it. He didn't have the men to enforce his will. He had to back down. In a move that they may not have considered, if not for Lord Bellamont's rash actions, the Assembly decided to grant Sarah Kidd everything she had asked for and more. She was given back her money, she was given access to her husband, and then they granted her her freedom. Sarah Kidd was released from the Boston jail. Apparently, Duncan Campbell tried to get in touch with her, but she refused to even acknowledge his existence. Instead, she got her stuff out of his house and took a room at a nearby inn. Her battles to free her husband were only just beginning, but Sarah Kidd had just won a major victory here, and it's no small point that she had been reunited with her children. I don't know if she ever realized how close she came to never seeing them again. I'm going to share what Daphne Giannikopoulos says here. Personally, I think it's a bit much, a little too much modern bias on it. But I think it's worthwhile to give a woman's perspective on this moment of victory for Sarah Kidd. Giannikopoulos writes, quote, The pirate's wife took on the colonial authorities and won. This is significant because, under English law of coveture, married women did not have legal rights of their own. Imprisoned, Kidd could not protect Sarah and provide the legal umbrella as head of household. She fought for what was rightfully hers, and she wasn't going to let Bellamont, who represented the patriarchal authority in society, take away her individual rights. For now, at least, Sarah had regained her footing after being assaulted physically, emotionally, and legally. End quote. Sarah Kidd had won, but her husband was still in jail, and Sarah Kidd had quite a fight ahead of her. Next time, she jumps into the ring. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd like to thank everybody who has helped to support the show all of our patrons on Patreon, everybody who has recommended this show, and everybody who has left us ratings or reviews. I couldn't do this without all of you. Thank you. The Pirate History Podcast is a member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. 
If you'd like to check out some of their other fine shows like Big Picture Science, you can do so at airwavemedia.com. Our theme music was, as always, The Old Captain by the fantastic band Brillig. If you'd like to check them out, you can find them at brillig.com.au. That's B-R-I-L-L-I-G.com.au. After you're done over there, why not check out our website at piratehistorypodcast.com. As always, and most importantly, thank you for listening. Tonight